listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week October 23 to October 27. It was a huge one. Uh, first up, Justin Digger Calvary came in for his usual segment, Down and Dirty, to tell us about bush foods that we can plant. And he brought some in and we tasted them and they were delicious. And we also interviewed Ben Elton about his new movie, Three Summers. Uh, we also got to chat to Dave Graney, our very own Dave Graney, about his book Workshy, My Life as a Bludge. And also we had an in-depth discussion about snacks. Yum, yum, yum. Yum. And then Lachlan Carter came in to review the gentle art of Swedish death cling and he gave us all presents. <laughs> Spoiler, <Yes>. mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I must do something with that. And then we talked about what we were going to do on the weekend and it was more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You're tuned to Breakfasters on Triple R, where we're talking books with Lachlan Carter. How are you going, Lachlan? I'm well, thanks. We haven't seen you for a long time. Sarah, it's been a while. It's been a while. Hey, uh, you mind changing the theme, the opening music to, to this segment of that Sexy Buster Rhymes track? Yes. <laughs> it's so sexy, right? Yeah. It's like right I can do that. Yeah. This is Jeff's favourite theme, though. So <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, it really. He actually, uh, the listeners don't understand, but Jeff plays it live. Every <laughs> <time>. <laughs> uh, some of our other themes are so stressful with us. That one's nice and gentle. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Lachlan? We're talking about the gentle art of Swedish death cleaning. Awesome. Good say, title. Actually, I should say it's, it's a really sweet book, so I should say The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning um, <laughs> by uh, Margarita Magnusson, um, who uh, is a first-time author who gives gives her ages somewhere between 80 and 100. Wow. <laughs> and it's a book that she was inspired to write after the death of her husband and uh, she had to move house and sort of downsize and sort of experience that thing where she had to sort of look through all of these belongings and think about not just herself but her children after as well, you know, who'd have to take care of all the things that were left over once she was gone. And so it's, um, it's a bit of a – it's sort of part memoir – part self-help manual, part sort of philosophical text, and it's really, really sweet. I was just saying to lock on off air, there's a, another book that's getting a bit of publicity at the moment called The Trauma Cleaner by Sarah Cranestein, which is about someone who cleans up after, you know, deaths and murders. But this is more like, um, oh, who's that Japanese woman who does the... Art of joy. joy. The joy, the sparking joy. Sparking joy. Yeah. It's yeah. part of that sort of genre, isn't it? Sort of. And, I mean, it's less philosophical than that. Or, and there's less of a, uh, a um, sort of, you know, like here's an approach that you take. It's a, She goes, each chapter in this book is about between one and three pages long. And she really just goes Ooh. through really pragmatic approaches to thinking about things and so um, there's chapters in there that are all about like what do you do with photographs and so if you don't know anyone in the photograph maybe you don't need that photograph that's just been hanging around if you've got multiple copies she buys a shredder um, so there's a lot of things that she ends uh-huh. up just shredding uh, she loves her shredder that'd be satisfying yeah so and what what's death cleaning then death clean so death cleaning is cleaning up uh, not 
after someone's death, but in preparation for your own death. So ah. it's thinking about you know the other people in your life who are going to have to go into your house after you're gone and take like make decisions about all this stuff that's left over. Just, I, and and it's downsizing so that you're not leaving everybody else in the lurch and having to make these sort of decisions. So you, you can start now. You don't have to wait until you're between eighty and hundred years yeah, old. Yeah, are you like me? If I think about that a lot. Yes. Yeah. I, I also think about what people would find. Well, there's, do you know what I mean? Like, as in, I have mm. a diary, and I think, would mm. I want someone to read this diary? Maybe I should just mm. get rid of it now. We thought she was so nice. Yeah. But yeah. Look what it says here. Day ten. <laughs> Jeff sucked again. <laughs> like, oh, I love Jess. Would that be a surprising <laughs> find? Though that'd just be like, yeah, there's Sarah's diary. There, there's a, a chapter in the book saying, if it was your secret, keep it that way. In brackets, or how to death clean hidden, dangerous, and secret things. And she oh. <laughs> she refers to like her her father, who uh, was a doctor, and he had all of these. Um, sort of hand hyped, uh, you know, details of all of his patients that you know were very sensitive, and they had to sort of um, destroy all of that stuff, and they burnt it all. Um, but she also talks about you know the potential for having you know more personal items in your second drawer and that sort of thing, and what to do with them. She's yeah. she's quite candid for a, someone between the, the old age second of drawer and, <laughs> and hundred years old. Wow. Uh, what did she say to do with them? Uh, uh, get rid of the 15 and just keep the the one special one. Uh, oh. for- <laughs> 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 That's what she says. Wow. Um, and, and, yeah, and th- there's a lot of that sort of pragmatic approach because you're like, you know, people are people and people have their things and those like, a lot of those things are maybe special to them in, at one point in their life but, you know, you keep a hold of them even though it may be an irrelevant, you know, part of your life now and... Your children coming after you aren't necessarily going to know what to do with all of this stuff. So it's about thinking about how you can get rid of it. And so, you know, she all of the, her approaches, like, you know, give to charity or, you know, every time you go over to dinner to someone's place, don't take a bottle of wine. Take them something from, you know, your bookshelf or you know, take them that weird, strange item that might, might have a new life in their home. Is yeah. this kind of also just about downsizing life in general? Yeah, sort of, but not really. I mean, I know there was a book that I reviewed a little while ago, which was all about, about things, you know, the, yeah, like right. our obsession with things and what that means. And it's less of that. It's more about just sort of looking at your own life and what you have um, and, you know, sort of casting a, a, you know, a practical eye over it, thinking mm. about the other people in your have life. Have you... Death cleaned? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I've, I've just moved house. And so, uh, like, reading this book at the same time. Yeah, so we were going through that. You know when you're going through that, you're opening up the cupboards and you're pulling out these photos and going, you know, going through memories and so you're not actually packing a box. You just sit there for two hours looking through photo albums. Yeah. And I was coming across all of these, like, items that I'm like, I keep moving this from one house to another. You know, I'm sort of a, I'm a serial renter and so, you know, we I've moved a lot of times. And there's so many items that, like, you know, I pack into a box and then unpack and put into the cupboard and then pack back into a box. And that's the only time I ever see these things is when, oh, you know, I've when I I've got move. boxes that I don't even unpack. Yeah, and so they just – but they, you still shift them. Mm. And, and there's stuff that I come across. I, I come across this like once every three years when I move house, which is this signed photograph, promotional photograph of Benny Hill that says, <laughs> to Lachlan, oh cheers from Benny Hill. I, I've Where never met Benny get? Hill. Are you serious? I've never met him. And I like finally asked my dad a little while ago, say, where did – why? Why do I have this? That's a you know. When I was a baby, he was at some fundraising event. And Benny Hill was there, and he had a few beers, and he thought it'd be funny to get a signed photo of Benny Hill oh, for me. My God! And, and I've just always kept it without any connection. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I appreciate I he like has, a, has quite a body of work. I don't know if it's, it's my like type of humour. The Benny Hill music should come yeah. on at this point of the um, interview. Yeah, did you keep it? Did you keep it? Yeah. Yeah. Great, because that's a nice story for you and your dad. See, that's it. And so there's a story there, whereas there's other things that... And uh, you can give it to your son to confuse him. I will. But but I've decided, like, as part of, you know, this in the spirit of... I've decided to do a little bit of death cleaning and and I I thought I'd bring you each... uh, (gasps) How exciting. Something from... Well, you'll see. Okay, no, no. No, I had a bit of a think about it because I I want it to be like a personalised item so it's not just offloading stuff. But you can (laughs) re-death cleaning. Clean if but it's not, not just the junk. The junk you didn't want when you were moving. Yeah. yeah. So, so Jez, I've like I've got here a copy of one of like an old woodworking oh, magazine because yes. I know you've always been you oh, know, thank you. responded when I've talked about. My I did projects. some sanding on la, during my holidays. Oh, oh isn't that? And we're going to put in new new floors on oh. this weekend. I think Kathy's going to get much yeah, joy Kat, out of yeah, that. Kat, There's a great article I'm on Forstner bits. Pass this along. Yeah. Just <laughs> called wood. It's called no, Australian Wood oh, Review. Oh, okay. It's actually Australia's <laughs> premier woodworking magazine. It's great. It's got Neil Erasmus on the cover, and he's he's he's, 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 sporting, uh, he's working that wood. No. Yeah. He, I follow him on Instagram. He's great. Um, oh, yeah, less very, of his moustache, more of his woodwork. On Instagram. He looks very serious about his wood. Jeff, um, <gasps> I've got in this little bag oh. a, a, uh, a knife. No, <laughs> not a knife. No, it's a little oh, electric, clippers. Right? Clippers. I've got. I've got another pair, so I never use this pair. They like they're in perfect just, working order. And you can cut your own hair. The, the rubber handle is a bit perished, but I mean, right. you could just chuck a bit of gaffer tape around that, ever. and they're, they're as good as new. Um, <laughs> I just, you, you're always well, well trimmed. We walked in this morning and. And your your beard was, you know, like you you yeah, well shaved, and I just um, thought something like that something that you might. Really like that one. Did not expect <laughs> that, but uh, kind of like something from your third drawer. Very well, it? Sarah. I don't know how well travelled you are, but I, I got you a um. Well, I don't know what do you call that. The, it's a it's a, an it's adapter a, for yeah. what country though? I don't know. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> I think, yeah, Sarah, you missed I think the UK. <laughs> Can no, I just tell you as well? Yeah, it's I an adventure. It's a U- that, That's a UK. And it I reckon. doesn't. And it doesn't have the the hole for the earthing part for oh, Australia. Good, so, so it's safe it's, as well. It's, well, it's limited. <laughs> like only certain things you can you can do. I got the shittest one. <laughs> But yeah, until sorry, you're in whatever country that's useful for, <laughs> uh, like what good is a woodworking magazine for you when you? you All right, I'm going uh, This is great. They've made a a, a bench out of Venetian blind. So I think Jez really won in this. <laughs> I think she did. Well, I just I feel like one day I'm going to plug this in a wall and it's going to you know do something really magical. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> nah, it, like, it's explode. not. Just yeah, <laughs> electrocute me. Colourful sparks everywhere. <laughs> um, so, look, you can re-death clean if, you, Thank, if you're not well, happy with your... Well, look, let's not, do that not every break. book that leads you to giving us presents. <laughs> that was probably the last one, actually, just to be honest. <laughs> so the book is The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning by Margarita Magnusson. Yeah, published by Scribe. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Triple R. Dirt, dirt, dirt. It's where you grow your pants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop saying about dirt? <laughs> Never gets old. You're listening to Break Fasters. It's time for Down and Dirty with Digger. How are you going, Digger? Good, good. Good morning, all. Good morning. You're so fresh this morning. Are we? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Really? We, were we got gifts yeah, from Lachlan, so we were and, all excited. And gifts from you. Well, mm. yeah, it's sort of. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, this is killing me because yeah. it's there in front of us, but we're not allowed to eat it yet. Yeah, I thought um, um, good time of year. Uh, spring is starting and there's new growth happening. So one topic that we haven't brought up before is um, native plants and especially native foods. Yes. So bush foods, bush tucker, which is starting to grow in popularity. Um, it's been around a long time, but the you know, mainstream is really starting to get into it now. Um, so I thought I'd bring in just a couple of classics and um, obviously 60,000 years of occupation, Indigenous people had so much food and they you know, were so in tune with all the plants and their environment. And um, I think it was, I, I f- don't quote me on this, but I think it was Arthur Philip, one of his records back to England that he noticed that Indigenous people were some of the finest human specimens that he had ever seen. Wow. Whereas a lot of people, you know, other Europeans that came to Australia and, you know, prior to Captain Cook were like, oh, no, this land, it's not, you can't survive here, it's just too harsh, there's no food to eat. But there's a lot. And uh, so the beauty of um, bush food is that there's a lot of flavours and textures and things that we don't usually have with our common European slash Asian diet that we're all so used to, but they're right on our doorstep. And people are always like, we want low-maintenance gardens. Well, what better plants to use than those that have evolved here? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just common sense to me. Um, so we, we use a fair bit of them at home and we use them to supplement. Again, you might need to change you know, your palate and open your mind up to different flavours and textures. Um, but I brought some absolute classics in here today. So I thought I'd start with the worst one and then we'll get better as we go down. <coughs> and when Excellent. I say worst, um, this one is uh, Tasmania lanceolata. So it's the native mountain pepper, which, as the name suggests, Tasmania. But we still have some um, endemic stands in Victoria. So if you go up to Mount Macedon, you'll see them. Mm. Um, out in Warburton, you'll see them. Uh, down in Gippsland, you'll still see them. It's quite a nice-looking plant. It's a really interesting... So it's got a red stem and this lanceolato is in a lanceolate leaf. Um, you do need a male and female, so it has a pepperberry. So just think of you, you know, when you get your mixed peppers, your whole peppers, oh, yeah, kind of yeah. looks like that. But that's the female has that. Obviously, the male doesn't have the peppercorn, so you need both if you want to get the peppercorn. But I've just bought in from mine at home, which is just a male, which you can eat the leaf. So it's. Um, I'll, I'll give you guys a taste. It's going to be. I want you just to chew on the leaf, just bite down on it, but don't swallow it. Okay. Um, and then pull it out. Why and don't just, swallow it? Because it'll burn all the way. Oh, down. okay, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> to make great radio. <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought I'd bring so it in. So, um, would you yeah. use this as a seasoning? Yeah. So, what, what we use it at home, like if we're doing a slow cooker, um, oh. just put a couple of leaves into a stew or into a bolognese or something like that. So it's a pepper. It's not actually a chili. So just chewing put, put on the, the whole thing in my mouth. Yeah, and just chew, just chew down so on if, it. If you put it in your slow cooker, would you then take it out before you serve the dish? Uh, as you, you oh, use quite, it as you would a bay leaf. Quite peppery. Yeah. <laughs> so you just chew it, but not swallow it. Oh. Yeah. So it's going to be all over my tongue. Yeah. So it'll heat up quite quickly, Whoa. and then it will back off quickly. But do you get the flavour out of it? It's not just the heat. No, there is there is a distinct flavour. Yeah, but mm. unusual kind yeah. of flavour, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> not lemony, but like almost. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Hmm. Oh, my tongue's hmm. quite sore. It's like being stung oh. by an ant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There you go, Jess. Oh, oh, ca- oh. Too hot? Yeah, I reckon it's about a six or a seven. I like chilli. I like oh, heat. Look, 
I can see that. Yeah. But more so for the flavour. You but don't get flavour out of chilli. It's from a chilli, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's not backing off, though. Wait, what's it will. Yeah. About 30 okay. seconds, it'll back right. off. <laughs> Paranoid about swallowing. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, it's got a good flavour. I don't know. How would you describe that? Yeah, know. well, uh, uh, there's always, mm. with most Australian bush foods, there's always that sort of hint of eucalyptus somewhere yes. in the back. Yes, yes that's totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, that's from our soils and, that, you know, most of the plants originate from each other and spread around. But, um, yeah, quite unique. Um, the thing about the berries, they're black when they're dried, but then when you crush them down, they go, they revert back to, you can't see it on radio, but you guys can see this burgundy colour of the stem. Oh, beautiful. So it's a medium-sized oh, wow. shrub, shrub, gets to about, you know, five, six foot or whatever, what's that, 1.8 metres. Fantastic in a pot in the shade. Because ah. it's a lower lower canopy plant in the eucalyptus forest, so even if you you know live on a balcony and you don't get any sun, this is actually what's ideal. it called? I've got a shady spot. So this is Tasmania lanceolata, or the native mountain pepper. Wow, go. that would be quite something in a curry. Ah, unbelievable! Yeah. So you know you could get a lot of uses yeah. out of that. I so that. ideally, male and female. Um, if you want to get the berries, or you can just have one of them and use the leaves. And oh wow! So the next one is who likes roast roast veggies? Yes. 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 Have you bought and some? You, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so do you use you know you get your herbs near rosemary, sage, thyme, all those sorts yeah, of things? Sure. And, yeah. Yep. So I'm going to pass one out to each of you. Oh, thank so you. So have a scratch and sniff of this one. So this Don't is need it. I might Oh, That's all right. That okay. won't hurt you. I'm not eating it. Prostanthera rotundifolia. So Ooh. maybe give one to Jeff. Oh, <laughs> oh, yum. So, you know, rub it, crush it in your fingers and have a sniff of it. So it's kind of like eat. all those herbs. You could eat it, but it's pretty strong. It is like a... Think of like a tussie-mussie of all those herbs so together. Just chuck that on top of your roast veggies. So exactly, yeah. So yeah. as we're roasting them, you know, once the oil's hot, just shred, shred all these leaves off and put it into the oil, and it infuses the oil with that flavour, and it goes through your roast buds, and it's actually quite yeah. nice. It smells Ooh. like Vaseline. Am I making yeah. that up? <laughs> it's be- no Vaseline. No, what's the one? Vape, vapor rub. Maybe yeah, it's like a minty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, get a whiff of that. Yeah. Bit. And has a magnificent lilac flower. It's out now, flowering. Oh. Um, again, good in a pot. Gets to, again, about two metres tall in semi-shade does the best. It'll take full sun because of that high oil content. Will it take full shade? Um, full shade, it'll, it'll be a little bit spindly. Okay. So, you know, the more you use it, these sorts of shrubs, the more you tip prune them just to use them, it keeps them nice and full. Ah. So you get lots and lots of new growth. But I think it's quite a pretty thing, a beautiful, mm. um, it's like a mid-green with a grey undertone leaf, ovifolium, the leaves oval-shaped. Um, yeah, quite amazing. Beautiful. Again, you're just talking about using little bits as a sort of seasoning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and obviously, in flour, um, you want to be careful where you put it because the bees absolutely love it. So, if it's right near the back door, then you're going to get, you know, this yeah. infestation of bees um, because of the nectar content. And what's that one called again? So, that's Prostanza, Prostanthera rotundifolia or the native mint bush. Native mint bush. That's so cool. Yeah. So, when you, like... Cutting this up and putting in your with your roast veggies, you don't eat it, or how do you? If you cut it really, if you find you know thinned it right out, you could absolutely put it into a stuffing or whatever it might be and eat oh, okay. it. Um, but usually, I just throw the leaves into the cooking oil, or you could throw again throw it into a, a slow cooked meal, just a stem of it, and it, that flavour will infuse through. That's amazing. And you pull it out at the end. Does it smell like that when it's in bloom? Like it, if you have that in your garden, we read it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. You brush past that, you'll smell it, and when the sun hits it, because the oil content, that'll that aroma will start oh. to. You Oh. permeate around the garden. Wonderful. So it's quite amazing. Why don't restaurants use these things more? There are. There are plenty of restaurants. You know, what is reputedly the best restaurant in the country, Attica uses a lot of Indigenous plants and right. Indigenous berries in their cuisine. There's, you know, there's native 
uh, restaurants and more and more these days when people are starting to use kangaroo or crocodile meat or whatever, mm. they're starting to match them and pair them with bush foods because they naturally just go together. Oh, wow. Obviously in the culinary world around, around the world, everyone's always looking for the next big thing or something that's a little bit different and these are very different to most other things around the world. So, so cool. chefs and whatnot. So now's the last one, which is that you're allowed to drink your tea. Yay. I've made a cup oh, of t- uh, uh, tea for everyone before, but the b- water was boiling. Um, so now you should be able to sip it. Oh, man. You can slurp it into the mic for once. <laughs> <laughs> and not have me get angry at you. So this one is Backhousia citriodora or the lemon myrtle. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually me. Oh, what's <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is beautiful. Yeah. That is so good. Yeah. So, you know, most times you can put a drop of honey or something in there, but it's just I've literally just put two leaves into a cup with boiling water on them about five minutes ago. And then that lemon flavour. So this guy comes from more um, up in the northern parts of the east coast, so around Byron Bay, sort of like from Byron up through Queensland, and it's a middle-tier tree. So it gets about nine metres in the wild. Wow. Um, and oh, then Backhousia is a big family. There's there's a cinnamon version, there's an aniseed version. Awesome. Of really? these things. Yeah, they're quite amazing. I feel like most of the time when people try these things, they sort of say that they're good, but they're actually kind of horrible. But this is really, really nice. <laughs> it's like I'm a really like fancy it. herbal tea yeah. that yeah. you pay yeah. a lot of money for. Um, and it's you know, fantastic if you've got indigestion, so it will just you know calm <laughs> calm your guts down after a dinner. So just, But so many uses. So we use this. We make really strong batches of it and cool it down to make cordial um, ice cubes out of it. So, again, make the tea ice cubes with a little bit of gin in the summertime. It's pretty yes. good. Um, you oh. can make sorbets out of it. Anywhere that you'd use that kind of lemon flavour would be, you know, a use for this. So where, so where do you get this from? So, then, you know, most nurseries, again, go, go to nurseries, ask for them by name. Obviously, you know, just around the corner from here, Ceres is a, a bush food nursery and yeah. permaculture nursery. So they have not just this, but they would have 40 or 50 different varieties of bush foods that you could try. And what's this one called again, sir? So that's Backhousia citriodora. Write them all down. Lemon myrtle. Lemon myrtle, right. That's, that's what I'm waiting <laughs> oh, okay. for. Right. There's aniseed myrtle, grey myrtle, which tastes that, like bubble gum. Does that grow okay down here? Even so, yeah. So, obviously, coming from subtropical environment, you need to protect it down here. So, as long as it's not getting those cold southwesterlies, um, oh, so yeah. a northeast orientation protected from the southwesterlies, fantastic in the garden. Or, again, my, I've got mine in a pot at home, tucked in underneath the veranda where the, you've got the plastic over the top, which creates like a little humid environment. And it's six feet tall and we just pick from we probably use it once a week at least wow. you know because it's just so handy again the more you pick it because it wants to be a big tall tree so the more that you prune it slash use it um it keeps it nice and dense otherwise it'll get become a woody tree the flowers are gorgeous too and bees absolutely love them so mm-hmm. you know they're just a handful of some of the really common stuff you'd be able to find all these pretty easily or ask them by name in in nurseries even go down to your indigenous nurseries and start asking them well have you got any foods here that are indigenous to my suburb because they are obviously they're around that are edible and they would be able to point you in the directions of if they don't stock them how they could get them or where you could go because they are everywhere so we tend to forget that you know one of the most common ones that's out in flower now is called the dianella family which is a strappy leaf guy it's in all the roundabouts and park plantings and roadside plantings and these blue flowers got a little yellow throat with a little black anther in the middle um, and they turn into an edible blueberry come summertime really yeah so it's a vibrant blue berry um indigenous to melbourne and you go right through victoria go up to wombat forest and it's just the whole understory is all these dianellas mm. we've got our native river mint which is menthra australis which again down the creeks it's absolutely everywhere you'd walk straight past it you wouldn't even notice it but you crush this little leaf and it's a tiny little leaf 
super, super strong, probably one of the strongest mints in the world. Um, make a tea out of it, again, good as a digestive, but um, in large amounts it's actually quite dangerous because it will flush you right out. Oh. It was used a lot by Indigenous people for, you know, um, after giving birth to birth placenta because it literally just flushes you out. Oh, wow. So very small amounts, absolutely fine, large amounts. Um, can be a little bit dangerous. So as with all these things that I bring in every week and for you listening at home, if you don't know what it is and what it's going to do, then find out first before you start munching on anything. But um, there's some amazing stuff. That is excellent advice. Oh, thanks, Tigger. You've blown my mind. That was amazing. <laughs> Talk to you again soon. We'll do. See ya. Three. Triple. <sighs> That's right. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine. And Sarah, our next guest, wears many hats. He's a comedian. He's the author of many novels. He's a writer for stage and screen, but he's also the director of a new film, Three Summers. Welcome to Breakfasters, Ben Elton. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Three Summers, it's an ensemble comedy with a, about a folk festival starring a galaxy of Australian talent. How do you go about writing something like that? Do you start with the setting, with the characters, with the actors, or does it all just come together at once? Well, in this case, uh, it really was the, the setting. I mean, all all writing is an improvisation. You never really know where anything's going to go until, you, until you've done it. I'm, I'm kind of with E.M. Foster on the whole process of, 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 of creation, which is how can I tell you what I think until I've heard what I have to say. <laughs> and certainly I don't really know what my stories are going to be until they're finished. But on this occasion, yeah, I had I was at the Fairbridge Folk Festival in, in WA where I live. I mean, we live in Frio in this beautiful little festival in the Binjara region. And uh, it just struck me to be a great place to set an ensemble comedy because everybody goes to festivals, you know, for, you know, whatever your politics, sexuality, identification, you know, everybody likes music and we're all equal in the queue to the Portaloos. So I thought it would be a great way to sort of bang a whole load of different Australian characters and stories into the mix and see how they interacted with each other in a comic sense, as I, as I would always do. Uh, so, yeah, it started with the location, definitely not the characters. The characters, then I started having got the location I needed to people my story with all these various characters and then we come to the actors and of course you just pray you're going to get the very finest actors with the best funny bones uh, and on this occasion I damn well did <laughs> <laughs> so Michael Caton Magda Subansky John Waters Deborah Mail- Mailman a whole bunch of people for me though the real star of this movie was the theremin for those <laughs> who don't know what's a theremin and how did well, it end up featuring in your movie well the theremin is a very weird instrument it's a very neat Niche instrument. It, it's the only instrument, uh, musical instrument, that you play without touching it. It's an electronic instrument with kind of a couple of electronic oscillators, whatever they're called, <laughs> and you wave your hands in between them. One hand uh, does the volume, the other the pitch, and it creates a sort of woo-woo-eerie sort of sound. A very specific instrument. And I, I guess I, I came across it because my brother-in-law plays it uh, very well. His principal instrument is the mandolin and the violin, and indeed he plays both the violin and, and the theremin on this movie for, to be mimed oh. by Rebecca Breed's and, and Robert Sheehan, the, the young stars who play the romantic couple. But it struck me, when I decided that the best place to do a, a multi-storey comedy, a great place, would be a festival, obviously I, I wanted some musical gags in there, and I thought, because I love to put a romance at the centre of... I'm kind of... I'm very romantic. I love to put a love story at the centre of my work. And so I, I, I thought a love story between two musicians would be great because I've been around musos all my life. My wife's a bass player. That's how I met her. And they can be very pedantic. You know, hell hath no fury like two jazz musicians who disagree <laughs> over Miles Davis. <laughs> so I, I thought, you know, like if you've got a sort of folky fiddle player who bumps into a techie theremin player, you know, they're attracted, but they've also got so many musical differences they can't kind of get through that. So I thought it'd make a very funny romance and I, and I think it has done. 
Um, is it difficult directing a big name ensemble like that? I mean, you've got a whole bunch of people there who are at the top of their game. As a director, you have to tell them to do this, to do that. Is it kind of difficult to manage with all of those people? Uh, well, it's a good question. I mean, firstly, directing any ensemble is hard because it's it's a very broad canvas. You've got a lot of stories to tell. You've got to keep it all in your mind. And being a little Aussie movie, you've only got a finite amount of time and budget. It's, it's very, very hard uh, to, you know, to get the film made. Uh, clearly working with actors of that experience makes it much easier. I mean, we had some young actors on the piece as well. There's some youth stories. You know, it's a wonderful story of an Indigenous youth who comes to some conclusions about his identity and, and there's a girl, etc., etc. Um, and obviously working with the younger actors, you have to take more care. They're less experienced. The truth is actually working with the likes of Jackie McKenzie and Deb Mailman and, 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 and Magda and, and Michael and John... That makes it so much easier because they're extraordinarily professional, they're brilliantly talented, and, of course, they, they deliver. And, and so the, the truth is, to shoot a movie as complicated as Three Summers in the five weeks we had to do it, 25 days, um, oh. it was almost essential that we had, you say, big names. What a, by that, we, we can say experienced, talented, highly dedicated, very used to working with crews who were at the absolute limit of their 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 their, uh, their, their resources. I mean, simply in terms of time and money, we're always on the uh, uh, fighting. The, the, we're fighting the clock, the weather and the budget every day. So, yeah, it, having a cast of that depth of experience made it a joy and considerably easier than had we had, you know, less experienced people in the leads. Being a writer and director, you could fall into a trap of kind of ruling with an iron fist on a creative project. How do you seek out, I guess, feedback from people or get people to criticise the script or have a look at it? Is that something that you do along the way? Do you have feedback? All the time. I I never met a script note I didn't like because even the ones that do sort of make you a bit angry for a moment, oh, you haven't got it, that's not what I meant. Afterwards, you calm down and you think, ah, well, maybe they didn't get it, but there's obviously something I'm not giving them. That's what they didn't get. So firstly, in the terms of script development, I'm extremely cooperative. And in terms of an Aussie movie, you have to be because there's huge due diligence. All Aussie movies are funded by... By the public, Screen Australia and Screen West, in my case, the regional screening, and 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 that that the the apportioning of, of public funds is an immense responsibility, mm. and you should jump through an awful lot of hoops to get it. And and I failed once trying to get an Aussie movie up, and on this occasion we got the funding, and I'm very very grateful. So that's the script process. Um, as to directing, I have no problem not being a dictator. My everything I do is about cooperative. Uh, a cooperative endeavour. My my job is to enable other artists. Their job is to enable, in this case, my vision. For me, the director should be the humblest person on the set. I know a lot of directors. Some are good. Some are arrogant assholes, frankly. Sure. <laughs> and it, it, it astonishes me that they should be that because you are literally the most privileged person in the entire artistic world. You get to have a vision and then a community of, of often as much as 100 people, sometimes 50, whatever, their job is to put their artistry, their passion, at very little money and with very little time to enabling your vision. So the director should actually be the humblest person. And I, I, I haven't, you know, with respect to my fellow directors and I know there has become a habit of directors literally owning movies a Bob Bloggs movie a movie by Bob Bloggs I I find that very strange normally they haven't even written a script so so whilst the director is of course a hugely important and it is the central role there's no doubt the idea to me an an individual writes a novel but it takes a village to make a movie it really does and I I decided not to put that credit on which I was entitled to it's now the new nobody ever used to do that you know that wasn't the case with John Ford. He didn't put a John Ford movie on High Noon or 
whatever. You know, it's a new thing, and I, I actually think it's unhealthy. And I don't blame the individual directors because literally everybody does that credit now. But I think we should kick back against it because it's. It's this cult of the individual, this idea that everything's about the, the genius Sven Gali, the hedge fund manager, the Donald Trump who's going to sort everyone's problems out. I grew up in a world where we actually considered the community to be the central uh, social unit, not the individual. All that changed under Thatcher and Reagan when suddenly the, the individual became the focus of our socio and our political um, identification. But I grew up, you know, in the post-war consensus where it was the community that we considered to be the hero, mm-hmm. not the the, the solve everything genius who comes in and we've gone a long way with this conversation <laughs> but that's why with respect to my fellow directors I think it's a mistake that we, 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 we put try and put everything down to one person so who's the boss uh, the director is the boss but if that director does not communicate facilitate and dialogue at every possible function then the movie I think will be rubbish well answered right <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting you say that because you began your career amidst a great coterie of comedic talent. When I was um, prepping for this, I was looking back at some of the people who started at the same time as you mm. did. What do you think made that period of the early 80s such a incubator of people who went on to, to do so many varied things. Was it that sense that there was a community in the midst of Thatcherism and so on? Well, certainly, um, you know, if you live in difficult and abrasive times, it throws up interesting art. There's no doubt about that. And I think the current um, the current climate in Australia is showing that. What's happening on the fringes of arts, particularly in, in, in the various communities that are finally getting the, the oxygen and the courage to identify, etc., is producing some fantastic and interesting work. And Thatcher was a massively divisive character in, in British politics and shattered the post-war consensus. The, uh, after the sec- Second World War, there's a ge- there was a general sif- shift to the left in, in, we- in, in Western civilization. There was a presumption that even conservative parties recognised that the community had to protect its, it, its levels, its values, its incomes, its employment rights, etc. And then that, that lasted about 25 years, and then the shift to the right happened, and now the left-wing parties are chasing the right-wing, you know, the right-wing centre. And you see Labour, under, New Labour under Blair, or certainly in, in Australian Labour. Sorry, you were talking about... <laughs> <laughs> but, so all I'm saying is, is that it was a real watershed moment in the early 80s, and I think that did provoke a lot of interesting and quite angry but passionate comedy, and I was very fortunate to be part of a generation that emerged in a time, I suppose weird to talk about it, but a time of conflict. I mean, the miners' strike in Britain, this huge year-long strike, which sort of shattered the British trade union movement. I mean, it was a brutal battle between trade unions and the police, effectively, who were used as a political army. There's no point denying that's how they were used. Um, I don't blame the police, but I do blame the politicians that put them in that position. You know, the miners' strike was so seismic. Grun- I don't know if you remember the Greenham Common, Greenham yeah. Common mm-hmm. the all-woman peace camp that was set up outside the American bases. It's a huge thing. I mean, it went on for two years, all women. It was the first all-female protest, as far as I know, in British political... Well, all I mean, obviously the suffragette movement, etc. But, but what happened at Greenham was also an immense learning curve for us as young comedians. So I would say those difficult political times did throw up... Not always political comedy. Blackadder's not political. Young Ones isn't really political. And Jenny and Dawn, for instance, French and Saunders, you wouldn't... Nobody would identify them as political comedians. But through their attitudes and through their presence... Um, they were political in a sense. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> no, that's I all right. Like, I, I feel like I've had one too many cups of coffee here. Ah, that's <laughs> all right. No, no, you've done really well. Hey, this is like your first um, Australian feature film. Thirty years ago, when you were writing things like Blackadder and The Young Ones, did you ever think that you'd write an Australian feature film thirty years later? 
Oh, my goodness, no. I mean, I, my life took a, an absolutely unexpected... I mean, George Michael said it, turn a different corner and we never would have met. I mean, it, it's, it was a, there was a day in 1986, the Young Ones was the reason, because Rick Mayle and I... Uh, Rick Mayle was big in Australia because the Young Ones, and I, he and I toured together as comedians because I co-wrote the Young Ones and was sort of principal writer on it. And uh, so we came to Australia and I, and I met an Australian girl. And at that point, everything changed i never remotely anticipated that my life would take this turn but slowly but surely you know we fell in love and eventually we were together and so our lives and we ended up in australia because i wanted sophie would have stayed in britain where principally my career is there's no doubt but i felt very strongly that we should give our children the a their australian heritage but also their australian family which is Mm. so important to us so here i am very much a, a, a man of two countries. I'm an Australian citizen, but also I'm British. Uh, those two things are, you know, are, are interesting things to be. And when I wrote Stark 30 years ago, first time I'd met Sophie, I'd just arrived, that was me looking in. Now, with three summers, I'm definitely mm. looking out. I'm, I mean, we've been living in Frio for 10 years. My kids go to the same state school that their mum went to when she was a girl. And so I'm definitely writing as an Australian. And clearly, I, I, I never would have expected that. But if you'd asked me, will you still be writing comedy? Will you still be trying to express yourself, your ideas and your passions through, through the comic arts? 30? I'd have said, yes, I will. I didn't think it would all be set at an Australian folk festival, but who, <laughs> yeah. whoever knows what's going to happen to them. But making an all-Australian comedy has been a, a real joy because I think because we're a smaller industry here, there is, a, there is a kind of collective passion. And certainly on the set of Three Summers, I think everybody felt very proud of what they were doing. And I, and I think that's part of Australian cinema and television arts because we're a small industry that needs to punch big. So, yeah, uh, I never expected it, but I'm blooming glad it happened. <laughs> <laughs> the film is called Three Summers. You can catch it all around the place. We've been talking to the writer and director, Ben Elton. Thanks so much for coming on. It was my pleasure. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 RRR in Melbourne, Australia. You're tuned to Breakfasters here on Triple R with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. Listeners to Triple R will need no introduction to Dave Graney, who you can hear on Banana Lounge Broadcasting every Tuesday. He's written a new book with the brilliant title, Work Shy, My Life as a Bludge, which is out and about now through a firm breast. Welcome to Breakfasters, Dave. Hello, how are you going? Thanks for having me in. It's <laughs> Geraldine, Jeff and Sarah. Lovely. Mm. You begin this uh, memoir, which is about your working life, writing about growing up in Mount Gambier in the 1960s. I was struck reading it, what a foreign place the past seems, but mm-hmm. particularly Mount Gambier. And I got a sense that that's how it came across to you when you, was, when you were um, recollecting. Would that be right? Did it seem like a long and distant time ago? Well, it probably is, actually. And um, I think anybody who thinks about even the recent past, you, you can think about 10 years ago. And um, and uh, the, sometimes, you know, I think of times when I would sit regularly and watch a certain television show and, and, uh, and enjoy it and enjoy that kind of routine. But no, I don't have anything like that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I blame kind of... Uh, distractions of the internet in many ways it kind of blew, blew apart kind of funny little schedules you'd have in your life and uh but uh i don't know uh, it does seem a long time ago and, and i like to uh just casually put things like that in the book like getting paid at work in pay packets you know with money in it yes. and, uh, and union deductions and uh and uh, working in public service you know flexi time and things like that and people uh 
it was so uh, much a part of the world then and uh, it's been kind of um, it's, that sort of thing isn't there anymore. So. You, you write about uh, an early job working in a sawmill mm. where your workmates are knowledgeably talking about the veri- the amounts of money they would get for various parts of their body being yeah. cut off. <laughs> yeah. and, saw. and again, that sort of country life. Yeah. Yeah, that so was real. So it's a vanished world. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so it was very dramatic. A guy cut his finger off and then they're always standing around, you know, comparing prices. You can <laughs> get and, uh, for how much of a limb you can get rid of. And, and it was, was serious. And, you know, uh, I just left school and all my mates went to university and I was just, uh, you know, my mind was drifting and, and I didn't have any kind of ambition and and I live my life kind of like that, you know. Most I don't know. Most people must be like that. You don't think of. Um, I never thought of the way they talk of in the papers of careers and you know <laughs> stuff like that. If I had to go to a careers officer at school, I would just you know it would just be like spending time with an adult, you know, <laughs> like uh, a, a endless time that you're just waiting to be over so you could go and hang around with your mates. The, 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 oh, sorry, no, I was going to say the Adelaide that you described to um, is kind of unrecognisable. You talk about being on the dole mm. and just kind of being able to be on the dole. Oh, yeah, and I love not being be, on the dole, yeah, yeah, that big a deal. I can't imagine that because I don't know that that's really existed in my lifetime. Well, the, yeah, the book starts out with a kind of forward where I'm first time I come to Melbourne and, and Jollymont, there are these guys hanging around leaning on spades and I, I just think, wow, that's so great. You know, that's awesome. <laughs> and uh, I still think it's great. I love people who have cushy jobs. And, yeah. and Australia used to be a more generous place like that. And uh, the doll was like a pretty much a free-range arts grant for a lot of people. <laughs> and uh, being on the doll was was easy. You'd, you'd, you'd mail it in. You'd mail in oh. your, your uh, things. You didn't have to have any jobs you work for. Just you know. And you could, I know I moved cities and you'd, uh, some people would move around all the time <laughs> just have a different address <laughs> and they would still get a cheque in the mail. Oh, it's amazing. And, uh, and in some ways I, I, I wanted to cast this book as, you know, against the kind of uh, liberal, in the LNP, Alan Tudge world, which is just... Uh, completely punitive against people who are unemployed and uh, it's all they're, there's, they're real cast as failures in the world but in my world they were winners yeah, they still are <laughs> they're winners and uh, why not and why can't we let someone have a rest for a while or or learn something or you know I, I just sat around for I don't know two or three years just playing guitar getting drunk and uh and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Worst job. I had no idea, no ambition to be in a job. But do you like? I know in the title it says your life as a bludger. Yeah. But do you actually consider yourself as a bludger? Well, yeah. At the end, I, I, I kind of yeah, I'm a bit of a failure as a bludger because I uh, I don't know worked my way into my own world where I was working a lot actually, and I, I still work a lot as a musician. More than a, a lot of people, because uh, I, I, it's very enjoyable being mm. a musician. So in some ways, it's yeah, work's not supposed to be something you enjoy. So uh, yeah, it's funny terminology when it's something you like. Yeah, mm. you write of a three or four year period of being almost, but not really in the mainstream. Yeah, was that something that came to you? Unawares, had you been anticipating that? And when it happened, did you find yourself enjoying it, or were you like caught up in something that you hadn't really wanted? 
Well, we made a record, Night of the Wolverine, in uh, with my band, the Coral Snakes, in like late '92, early '93. Made it very quickly, and it was just very, uh, just through some support of a couple of people. Uh, and I paid for the recording. Didn't think about anything. It was just kind of artistic expression. And then it it's, it got uh, played on national radio, and uh, all of a sudden there was a, a record company talking, and uh, as if you're a viable person, and uh, <laughs> and it happened very quickly. And we went touring nationally opening for hunters and collectors and just encountered kind of venues and worlds outside of the inner city of sydney melbourne and um it just sort of slipped into it quite quickly and then then the next year there was an album and a tour and and then a year after that so it it happened quite quickly we had a really good manager from melbourne the late mick guyer who i rang him up and said you're our manager and he was a very non-industry person so he was quite good to be with he was like uh, it was a funny period in Melbourne because he was a rival to the Ghost from Triple R. Really? It was like Triple R and PBS. They were rivals, <laughs> kind of, kind of uh, n- not gurus, but uh, wise elders mm. who were. And if you saw them in the same room at the same time, it was like a heavyweight title <laughs> match. You know? It was it was fun. And uh, anyway, Mick was our manager. He he was brilliant uh, at talking with industry people because he he backed the artist. He backed us oh. so strongly, and he he could talk endlessly. And we hated to be on the phone with him because your your ear would end up glowing red with pain. And we called it diarrhea. But anyway, so anyway, it helped to have that buffer and we had another buffer in a young fellow in, in a, a small label, but it was attached to a large one. So we were with a large record company beyond that who gave us this incredible promotion. So I really enjoyed working in that machine. I, mm. I loved it. And in some ways I worked best uh, with, with that kind of remote kind of uh, using symbols and words. You know, I'm not a very intimate person. You know, I'm not like a intimate songwriter, and and uh, I'm kind of um, I don't know, n- not that kind of heartfelt kind of person. <laughs> there are some great. Uh, this kind of, there are some, I'm, I'm not finding the right words. I'm sorry. You're, you're empty, Dave. <laughs> there are some great anecdotes from that time. Before we run out of time, I've got to ask you about some of them. I did not realize you briefly made a pilot for a TV show yes, called yeah. AO Art. AO Art. Tell yeah. us about that. Well, when well, we. I had this policy of just saying yes to everything and, and, and it uh, got me uh, into some trouble. Like I appeared, there's a thing on, on YouTube, I appeared as a prize on Sale of the Century. Because <laughs> uh, uh, they rang me up and said, do you want to be on a prize on a Sale of the Century? And I, and I said, yes. <laughs> I said, send a stretch limo to my house with a six-pack and uh, I'll see you there. And this stretch limo came to my house, a very winding no! street. It had to have like a 10-point turn to get my much <laughs> with a six-pack in the back and I got in in this track suit and I just drank the six-pack on the way in and I'm sitting on a couch with Jodie Packer, you know, uh, waving a feather over me with her, <laughs> her pendulous breasts in front of my eyes and, uh, and Nikki Buckley, who was, who was a friend of mine, was having fun with the... Uh, the, uh, the host of Sale of the Century, and then they were selling a couch. Anyway, but I was saying, yes, yeah, so I, uh, we had an idea with our friend Tony Marnie to make a, uh, a TV show modelled on Playboy After Dark, the Hugh Hefner one, and it, that always had people performing in studio 
but it was it was Hefner's house, so they were never much performing live. I just wanted to have people miming, so they could really put out <laughs> like the performance, not worry about the sound. And uh, and I just wanted to be really remote and sad, like the Great Gatsby in my house, and not really be interested, wandering around an endless party. And uh, it never got made, but we filmed an interview with um, uh, Rose Hancock, Rose Porteous in the forum which was then abandoned and and we got in there and filmed this thing and she took about three hours to put her makeup on and we were paying for a film crew and stuff and she came out after three hours she goes how do i look baby i still got it (laughs) and and slapped her ass (laughs) we we were all really mad at her (laughs) we did an interview and then we did one with Henry Rollins as if he was in the gym of my mansion. I'm just morosely asking questions. He's, <laughs> he's just lifting weights. And, <laughs> but it never got, uh, it never got made. Um, and the, the, the television show Recovery used a lot of the ideas in, it, in, in their latter stages when it was filmed in a house. Oh, well, I feel yeah, that's a it, great... It took a lot of the ideas from it. It's a great tragedy of Australian television. That, that <laughs> never got made. I, we could ask you a whole lot more questions. It's a yeah, fascinating sure, book, yeah. but we're about to run out of time. Yeah, You're okay. having a launch tonight? Where yeah. and when is that? Yeah, work, Workshire is, is a, a book I'm launching tonight with the help of my friend Tony Martin at uh, the Magnet Galleries in um, in uh, in the 240 Burke Street, which is up the kind of Spencer Street end, and anybody is welcome to come along and there'll be books available and that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed writing Work Shy and a friend said to me on the internet, how can you have two memoirs? Because okay. I'd done 1001 Australian Nights, but it's uh, there's stories and there's kind of writing and uh, you can have a story, but you can also write it differently. Yeah. And if Jimmy Barnes can have two, you can have two. <laughs> it's a, a fascinating <laughs> book. It's entitled Work Shine My Life as a Bludge, out through a firm. We've been talking to Dave Graney. Thanks so much for coming. Okay. Three, triple, ah. You are listening to Breakfasters with Sarah Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, I had a... Um, Oh, okay, so I'm currently doing the the five two diet, mm-hmm. um, which means that there's two days uh, a week where I fast and have like 500 calories in a day, um, which obviously takes out snacks, takes out oh. a, a lot. It means you had to have a black coffee today. Yeah, I've had black coffee. Um, that's all right though. I'm sticking by it. It's good. Uh, but it just um but it also means on on the other days I'm more conscious of uh it's not like on the rest of the days you binge eat you just eat normally and yeah. for me it just makes me much more conscious of what I'm eating in general yeah are you normally conscious are you someone who I dip in and out right. sometimes I just I cuz I love snacks a lot and I love cuz I'm also off the booze as well so I find that you know, I have a glass of wine and then snacks will go with that. Um, so now I'm trying to find, desperately trying to find good snacks that are healthy. That's oh. hard. It's so hard. I'll tell you what I like. I know it sounds boring, but so you know those rice cakes, but they're not rice cakes, you get corn versions of them. Yeah, they're yeah, like corn, corn things. Yeah. That, in, that and hummus. It sounds oh, boring, yeah. but it's actually delicious. But hummus is pretty good. Yeah, hummus is amazing. 
That is good. I wonder how many calories are in that. I'm going to check that <laughs> later. So that's so that's what I'm starting to do now. Is go. Oh, how many? How do you feel about um, olives? I don't like them. Don't you? No, uh. it's devastating. No, I'm not into them. Um, and I've tried. I've tried many times. I'm just not into them. Um, but I was so I was at the. I had a gig last night. Wasn't the best gig. Let's be honest. <laughs> I yelled at the audience. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Told them they weren't any good. I'm sorry to that audience. It's not your fault. It was me. Um, but then <laughs> I, uh, I had to um, I had to go to the supermarket. I went to the supermarket on my way home to get some more dog food and stuff. Um, and then I was like, oh, just, you know, I'll get prepared for, for tomorrow. And then I, oh, my goodness, I wandered around that supermarket for such a long time trying to figure out what to get. I yeah, picked right. up so many things and put them back and was like, I know this is my opportunity to and I was like on the internet just looking up things, just going, Okay, I could get oh it's too hard. Yeah. It's all too hard. It is hard, isn't it? I just and then I went, Oh maybe I'll just get one of those, you know, healthy microwave meals and then uh, and then there's low calories in that you can get low cal- calorie ones and I was like I don't want that. I want something fresh and nice that I've mm. made and yeah. I've got, oh, no, I've got, you know, some leftovers that I could add to it. Oh, I don't know. It's too hard. <laughs> it's way too hard. <laughs> and I just, you know, and I've asked friends to say, what do you have for snacks? Like, um, and I had ones where they go, oh, yeah, I just I make like a banana and kale. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe uh, I'll get some bananas and some strawberries. And I've got like half what I thought, oh, you know, I'll make a smoothie Great. for in the morning. Perfect. Get banana strawberries and I could put something else in it. And then I was just like, I don't have a blender. Oh. Oh, that's, so- <laughs> that's a bit <laughs> of a problem. Like, this, I just want oh. this to be. I just. It should I, be easier than this. Yeah, I just want all fast foods to be healthy. Yes. Why can't yeah. they just have that? I just. I oh, know it's not possible. Uh, have you ever um, gone into any of those Asian groceries and checked out the fast the snacks? In the snack rows there. Oh no! Have you ever done that? Because no. you know, like um, Japanese culture in particular, they really like chips and yeah. you know, and there are some amazing things. Oh, you maybe have to that's be a little bit I... um, broad-minded. Yeah, yeah. I got spicy fish skin the other day as, oh. a, as a chip. Mm. How did that taste? Spicy, <laughs> like fishy. fish. Spicy and fishy. Oh no! Did you like well, that? I did like You're it. Really, you don't mind fishy. My my problem with snacks, though, I don't know if you have the same one. I can't have them because you can't stop. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yes, that's absolutely. my problem. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, if I buy a nice snack and then I open it up, like I like olives, but I can't get them because if I get them, then I just eat them all at once. The whole, yeah. So that was my problem. I'm like, I'm like looking at the the fruit and nut aisle and stuff, and yeah. looking at like getting a trail mix or something. Like, so I just like something, and I'm so I'm looking at a a thing, and I'm like, okay. Per serving is like this much. I'm like, I can't do that serving. That's no, but that's a, especially with nuts because you can nuts. You're like, oh, it's a it's a healthy snack, but mm. I always eat too many for it to be healthy. Yeah, because yeah, it's know? salty. <laughs> yeah, and even if they're not salty, I just because I don't know they're because they're nuts there. Are more, isn't and there? You just keep going. Can, I want yeah. so I want something that you can eat in. You just keep going. You can just have forever. Yeah, well, not forever, but just, you know, something to yeah. get you through the day. That you can, it's stop, always you can there. eat them until you're not hungry anymore and yeah. not feel bad about it. What about carrots? I guess so. It's, it's not very I put peanut butter on it. It's no, 
What did you have? Fishy, salty. Well, well I'm okay with not having that. <laughs> okay. the, the other good thing about those places, all the stuff has the best name. Um, I found a tea called Pockery Sweat. <laughs> oh, well, that's appetising. <laughs> it's actually Picard. You know, the Japanese have a, a drink called Pocari Sweat. Um, over there, and it's amazing for hangovers. Oh, well, there oh, you really? go. Yeah, you and get the, it out of their um, their vending machines, and it's oh, well, it's that, like yeah, no, that, that amazing. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm sure these are all very tasty. But um, the other tea I found was one that you have to um, like an sort of instanty tea. Yeah. Uh, it's called Blendy Stick, which I thought was the oh. first name. Oh, I like Blendy, Blendy Stick. Just is what it is, isn't <laughs> it? I've been having much more um, teas and and coffees as well. So yeah, let's go. All right. Maybe someone's, someone's got me. I don't know. Got a snack idea oh, for yeah. me. Oh, Hopefully, all they're just maybe they're just a stranger. Oh, no, we lost oh, oh, so sorry about go. that. It's probably just <laughs> apologies. Um, probably a good thing, frankly. <laughs> anyway, but there's also. So, where, where, where are you at with it? Have you come up with anything? Oh, I've got a I've got a banana and strawberries in my bag because I I bought them anyway. I didn't know what to do. Um, well, strawberries are good. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But I just you know I want something to get me through the day. Someone said nori sheets and toasted chickpeas. Another said, "What about edamame? Edamame is damn good too as well." Where do you get oh, that from? Oh, here we from? go. Someone's calling. Two you. people said edamame. Okay, all right. Well, well, let's see if a third person says edamame. Um, hello, you're on Chipolana. Hello. Hi, do you, have a, do you have a snack for Geraldine? Pickles. Pickles. Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh never again. <laughs> I remembered uh, something previously that you hate pickles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Oh, dear, no pickles. I'm, 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 I was like, bye. Okay. <laughs> I was okay with pickles until I had to do that um, scene in a movie where I had to eat pickles and it was a lot of... Too many pickles? Too many oh, pickles. Pickled out. So, oh, yeah. Lots of so suggestions, suggestions come through. Hello, have yeah. you got a suggestion for Jez? A snack um, suggestion? Yeah. yeah, my mother, she has um, celery with peanut butter smeared over it. Oh, that don't, I feel like that's, that's... She's being fooled by the healthiness of that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds delicious though. Um, thank you for that one. Um, hello, have you got a, a snack suggestion for Jess? Uh, yeah, I was going to say celery uh, with tahini. Um, oh. um, to, uh, you don't have to quit drinking. Um, vodka and soda is 67 calories. Hey. Oh, yes. yes. I've heard. Yeah, there you yeah. go. I've, I've got to quit drinking for other reasons <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your call. All right, take, okay. we'll take Thank one you. more. Hi, hello. Have you got a uh, snack suggestion for Jez or are you just ringing to say hi? Oh, hi. Yeah, no, I've got a suggestion. Yes. Um, okay, so I've done the 5-2 diet as well. Oh, um, yeah. I know it sounds a bit shit and healthy, but um, a boiled egg with, like, just salt and pepper and a bit of it actually gets you through. Oh, how many calories is that? Um, I don't. Oh, look, it'd be less than a hundred. Oh, I think. okay, that might be all Oof. right. That's a good thing to maybe start start off in the morning. Yeah, absolutely. Or even lunchtime, or something to get you through the afternoon. Oh, oh thanks, mate. Hey. That's very logical. Thank yeah, you. Thank you needed you. one of those. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> so many snack suggestions come know, through mate. on the text. Everybody loves a snack. Do you know? And do you know? It's also um, fresh popcorn. That's true, actually. I oh, could yeah, the air, popcorn. Air yeah. popped popcorn. Well, and then there's heaps of suggestions. Thank you. There's also um, in in the office. I discovered that 
they have they're massive on snacks in the office here at Triple R, and they've all gotten together and they um, they try snacks together and they rate them and give them notes. There's a bit of a snack spready they keep here. Yeah, have a yeah. There's a snack yes. spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. This is what they get done here. So every time you don't get an email back from someone in the office, just think <laughs> they're too busy on their bloody snack spreadsheet. <laughs> they're on their stuff, but it's so funny because it's you know a lot of it's um, written by. Um, Simon Winkler's in I, there. I thought Simon Winkler might have something to do with this. <laughs> so he, um, oh, let me find, oh, here's some, some of his notes, like Oreo Thins Lemon Cheesecake Flavour. Lemony aroma, but little lemon flavour. Like a combination of the least desirable Arnott's Cream Biscuits needs more cream. Thin <laughs> wafer is good. <laughs> this is some serious snack analysis going on yeah. in the office. <laughs> And, every, and this this scoring is like one to seven. Like seven. Why seven? I don't know. <laughs> Forget that. Weird out. number to stop at. And there's no. There's only like they give you a reference for for seven and for one. So one is definitely wouldn't eat again, yeah. and seven is definitely wouldn't eat again. Anything in between, oh. who knows how you get to that number? It's yeah. so strange. And yeah. who's how many people are involved? A in lot. This? Quite a few. <laughs> I would imagine takes up a lot of their day. (laughs) You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R FM in Melbourne, Australia. You are listening to Breakfasters on Triple R. Hey, just uh, just right now, um, it is the last day to, um, if you haven't already, make sure you put in your postal survey about the same-sex marriage. Yeah, you have until 5pm today to get them off. Uh, it was announced yesterday that 40%, only 40% of 18 to 35-year-olds have posted their ballots, where 90% of 55-plus have. So, Yeah, where did, where did that info come from? I don't know. I just sort of reported everywhere. Yeah. So I think maybe the ABS released that. So we had floating around, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Had, all those facts were going around, like, you know, the one in five... Oh, whatever it was, like a lot of people were posting that as they said. It's like only this many people, so make sure you get yeah. in your vote. But it was like, well, where where was that coming from? I think from? the ABS, because I've read it from a few reputable sources, not right. just other people. I was only getting it from, yeah, other people's So anyway, you've got it lying up. around on your couch or yeah. on the fridge or something. Yeah, or if you have a mate or an ex or neighbour, you reckon might have just let it slide, mm. give them a nudge. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, go get it out from your pile of bills. Yeah. Go on, go get it. We'll wait. Go on a bit of a... <laughs> yeah, we'll just yeah. wait here. <laughs> In silence. Uh, anyway, let's, let's talk about what we're going to do on the weekend. I'll sure. start. Um, go. I'm going to the dentist today. <laughs> Again. Mm, oh. It's, yeah. Because last time, you know, we've spoken about this before, how I don't... Um, previously did not like going to the dentist, so I was scared of them. Um, and I was also scared of the um, the inevitable... You should have just come in. Why yeah. didn't you, yeah. you come in earlier? Had you come in five years ago, this would have been no, no problem. Yeah. It's kind of judgment with consequences, isn't it? Well, yeah. oh, oh, the worst. Yeah, you can almost feel them rolling their eyes. But yeah. Another one who could have got it treated, but yeah. they didn't. Um, so I like to avoid that by not going at all. Uh, but now, you know, I, I do now. And um, so I've had one session, so I'm just getting like my teeth cleaned one bit at a time, one side at a time. So I'm going in for another session. And you discovered a good dentist through Triple R, didn't you? It was a a listener who said, I'll help you out. Yeah, I won't roll my eyes or judge you. (laughs) (laughs) If I will, I'll keep it to myself. (laughs) And I I have... 
I've looked deep into his eyes and he's he's a man to be trusted. Um, you can do that when you're at the dentist now because you've got the sunglasses. <laughs> so you can... Oh. Reflective glasses. Yeah, I found that very handy. So to, you can judge the judger. Yeah. Mm. Look, yeah. Look deep into his... Uh, the gas might have had an effect on that as well. Um, <laughs> Once you've had the gas, you can look into everyone's soul. I feel like, you know, we're just listening to Immortal Tortoise by Orb. I feel like that is the song that will be playing in your head (laughs) once you've had the gas. They should totally do that. They should be playing psychedelic music in the dentist. Well, I get to watch Netflix because they've got a TV on the roof. So Mm. that's, that's smart. Yeah, it really, it's very helpful. Do you get to, can you actually take any of it in? Or are you too freaked out by the sound no, no, no. of drill I, going I, in your I mouth? Can you hear it? Uh, no, you get headphones, ah. but the headphones weren't working, but that's fine because I just watched a nature documentary and they had, you know, with subtitles on it, so oh. it was totally fine. I um, When I when I went last time, um, when, uh, you know, they start putting the gas through and he's like, just uh, you'll let me know kind of when it starts to work, like you'll know when when it's having an effect. And I didn't want to, him to know that it was working because I wanted more. Cause I, uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like I was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. oh, no, Keep it's it not coming. working. Yeah. <laughs> Give me more. Could he tell that you were? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's not I think working. It's probably, I think it's probably quite obvious. <laughs> like I was watching, yeah, this nature doco and there was like a, a baby deer in a stream surrounded by um, – Foxes that were just taunting it, waiting, to, trying to tire oh, it out. It's horrible. It is horrible, but I was giggling a lot and <laughs> just and trying to hold it in, just going, don't, don't let this out. <laughs> look, at the, look at the funny things happening yeah. to the baby. Get it, foxes, get it. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, wanting that to happen, oh, just going, no. please, foxes, can you just get this done so I can stop giggling <gasps> at the way you're pouncing about? Oh, oh no. <laughs> Just give me a vision, like, of a dentist now that you could have it all tricked out like a kind of 70s drug den. You yeah. know, you could have, like, lava lamps and... Well, tell us about this 70s <laughs> drug den, <Yeah>. Jeff. <laughs> Psychedelic lights happening in the, as you suck in your, your um, you know... Is that what it was like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was like. Let me tell you. <laughs> this is made better by the fact you're wearing a Paisley shirt today. <laughs> Oh, come on, who wouldn't like to go to that dentist? Yeah. That sounds oh, great. We'd love it. We'd love it. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to do that. And then, uh, oh, and tomorrow or day we'll be um, hopefully putting the new floors in, at, in oh, Venus Jesus. Bay. Yep. I feel drained for you. No, it's, I think it's, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Are you, um, are you still doing, what was the job that you were given, Sandy? Was yeah, that all done? I was over enthusiastic with the sand. Oh, yeah, I thought that was just too, too, too much. good to last. Yeah, a bit too much, apparently. Yeah, because oh. you were saying about how easy it was and so on. Well, it's an electric sander. I just had to sand the edges and stuff of the. Apparently, it's not easy. Well, it is. I just did a very, very good job. Like when you file your na- nails too much. Yeah, yeah. I just rounded the, rounded the corners too much, apparently. Oh, it's all right. Needed to straight. I just went around the corners. Anyway, uh, so that's what I'll be doing, and uh, that's that's it. Sadie, what are you doing, Jeff? I'm flying to Sydney. Yeah, are, are you? Yeah. To see Steph. To see Steph and um, uh, my friend, your fiance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, I'm going to visit my friend's got a new baby, so we'll be visiting Anthony's baby. That's wow. exciting. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. No, 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 no. I'm just not that great with the whole... You're a bit scared of holding a child, aren't you? I just don't even know what to say. Like, I mean, I'm, well, you know... Well, the baby can't talk, but you say whatever you like. <laughs> just, well, it's just... Pretend it's a nice glass of wine. <laughs> Let me just drink that baby. <laughs> keep filling, keep, keep sending the baby so oh, I have another one. No, <laughs> no but you Good legs. Strong body. Strong vocabulary. You know what I mean, though? Like, you're glad, you know. Oh, I've got the faint aroma of fruit <laughs> there. A bit peppery. Am I right? <laughs> Would be paired well with fish. I'm just not going to get through this. Sorry. Now I've just been thinking the whole, the whole time. Just thinking about what? I can't stop thinking about wine. I might have to have a few wines before I get through it because I never think what to say because they just all look the same. You yeah. Know, when they're really young. They do, though, and everyone, yeah. And I reckon parents and know they look say, the oh, same. And you say, it looks so much like you, but it never does, you know, because it's just all squished up. Yeah. And it doesn't do anything. No. But anyway. Yeah. It's like weird. a little worm. <laughs> At six fifteen this morning, Jeff, you talked you told everyone that you were um off the booze and three hours later now you're talking about getting on the wines. It's been a roller coaster of a show. <laughs> yeah, it has too. Oh my god. Uh I have no you know what, I've no plans this weekend. See where it goes. I'm gonna see where it goes. So should does anyone, if anyone wants to do anything? Feel free to send me a text. Oh, that's going to work out Ooh. well. Isn't oh it? no, it's not, is it? Nah, I've got. I'll just do some. I'll do some nice relaxing. I think. I think I'll have a wine tonight. Yeah. Maybe eat some licorice, and um, that's about it. I'll Maybe feel... you could find a DVD player and rewatch oh the grand. It final. arrived. My DVD, my pack from the AFL arrived. So my dusty T-shirt arrived during the week, and so did my Premiership T-shirt, my Premiership beer coat holder, and my Premiership DVD. So. Well, oh, there's your weekend. Yeah. Maybe it is my weekend. Just arrange, <laughs> arrange all your items around and touch them all. <laughs> You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. 